Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And we're finishing up Granny's Gone Wild week. It's quite a week. It has been quite a week. And I mean, your grannies were pretty crazy. They were. And you had a duo. So catch Sunday's episode if you didn't. Yeah. I'm bringing you just one granny, but I'm not going to start with her being a granny. Okay. Where she just progressively gets worse throughout her life. So I read a book. You know oh, me. You know deep dive. and her books. Yes, I do. I'm gonna, I really am going to try to not be ridiculously long here. Okay? I promise. You do you. Try. You do whatever but you need to do. Sometimes it's just really hard for me. And this one, this book is called The uh, Black Widow, The True Story of the Giggling Granny. Isn't it ironic I, that we both had Black Widow themed cases? I know. Cases. When you said that on Sunday, uh, Sunday's episode, I was like, no kidding mm-hmm. oh i'm sorry i misquoted the name of the book black widow the true story of giggling granny nanny doss and it's um, by ryan green i like ryan green's true crime stories giggling granny just sounds so creepy she, to me she is known as the giggling cr- granny it is creepy we will i oh. i will tell you why it's not like a prevalent part of the case until the very end oh okay so it's not like she's like creepily giggling the that's whole time that's what i envision no. like a creepy giggle it was creepy but it wasn't until the very end so um yeah I, so that so that's it she was okay. known as the black widow but for the right reasons not for like the weird reason that your case right. from sunday was yeah mm-hmm. like i like i had mentioned mine it sounds like people kind of misunderstood yeah but it but still, still was what they're known as yeah. yep so we're going to begin this unbelievable path of carnage, and it is a unbelievable path of carnage. <laughs> Let's, I will prep right Ooh. now. Um, in Blue Mountain, Alabama, and we're going to start in ni- all the way back in 1905 when a woman named Lou gave birth to Nancy Hazel. You know, that sounds like a beautiful place. It's funny that you say that because the book was even like, doesn't that just sound so gorgeous? It really does. I'm not certain at the time it was. Okay. Good to know because I'm picturing a majestic Yeah. Yes. Blue Mountain, Alabama. You know, what could go wrong? Well, (laughs) you're going to tell us. Nancy Hazel went way wrong. She was born on November 4th, which is only three days before my birthday. So I was kind of like, "Mm, honey, you Scorpio. I understand. <laughs> like, I get it. I get it. Oh, um, see, the problem is, though, is that her mother, Nancy's mother, Lou, was in a bad way. She was an unwed mother, and her father had kicked her out because she refused to produce the name of the father of the child oh, so that they could arrange a shotgun wedding and make okay. right by her. Sure, of course. And it's unknown why Lou would not give up the name. It's suspected that in a nearby town in Anniston, there was um, a military base. So it's actually suspected that it's possible she didn't really even know the guy or the guy wasn't around because oh. he was in, you know, floating in and out of the base for the military. Or it's possible that she loved him and wanted to protect him. From her father. 
Gotcha. So either way, it never comes out. And she is homeless and um, was kind of taken pity on by other local women. As she's, she did get, she picked up like cleaning jobs here and there and whatnot to survive. But when it came time to actually give birth, she was kind of taken in by some of the town's women. Okay. Now she gave birth to Nancy who became Nanny. She is known as Nanny Hazel. All right. But her name is actually Nancy. That was her birth name. Gotcha. The judgment of the town was kind of like, oh, this poor dear. She's never going to find herself a husband, okay? Well. And what what would be worse than being a single parent? Oh, oh my God. Unwed. An unwed parent. Woman. Oh, for shame. I know. That's a huge trigger for you. And it's, and I know back then it was such a, like, it was looked so it down was. on. Yes. You know? On the woman. Like, forget yes. the fact that the man was the, also partaking. Yes. Like, that did not matter. Nope. It was just like, oh, nope. tainted. Yes. That's going to come up a lot, actually. Okay. So, so prepare. But Nancy, or Nancy, Lou was kind of like, you know what? Screw you guys. I am going to find me a man's. And she does within a week of having Nancy. Oh, my. She finds herself James Hazel. Hence how Nancy becomes Nancy Hazel. Okay. So what ends up happening, and James, I got to tell you a little bit about him. He didn't give a shit that Lou was pregnant and had a child. As far as he was concerned, that is more hands for his struggling farm. Oh, wow. He was a farmer. He was a struggling farmer. And it had been in his family's name for many years, and he was about to lose it. It never really did produce well and never, ever does. Okay. So the thing is, is that James is an important piece of this story because I firmly believe that James had a huge part in shaping Nanny to who she becomes. So what ends up happening is eventually kind of lines get blurred and they're like, oh, see, Nanny was James's baby all along. And that's why they got married so quickly after the baby was born. Oh, okay. So it just kind of became a part of their family history that was never really questioned. But the fact of the matter is, we don't know who Nanny's dad actually is. But it wasn't James. James took them in. Mm -hmm. And when he took them in, he was overbearing, he was abusive, and he only cared about his farm. So immediately it was like he was calculating something that you had said um, on your episode on Sunday reminded me so much of James because how the women in your story would calculate basically how much they had to pay on those insurance premiums Mm -hmm. before and how much to spend on these, these people's food and all this stuff. This was James with his wife and her young daughter. How long do I have to sustain this girl? Before she can start turn working for me. Oh my gosh. So honest it sounds like this marriage was just about the farm. It was. It was for convenience. I mean, it was for Lou, like I am unwed and I need a husband. He's willing to take me in even though I'm tainted. Mm-hmm. You know, so so yep. And not only that, but James was kinda like, Okay, I've got myself a wife. Now you're gonna start producing babies for me, Lou, because oh, wow. I need free labor. So what you're telling me is they didn't take the time to exchange goals, get to talk know about one a five-year plan. No. Uh, when you want to talk about a five-year plan, if you mean popping out four babies in five years, that's exactly what she does. Ah. Right after giving birth to Hayes, or to uh, Nanny. She starts just 
And every one of the pregnancies were planned so that she wouldn't be delivering during the harvest season. Because if you are, if you know a farmer, been married to a farmer, and I grew up on a farm, you don't mess with harvest season. That's like the planting the, season and harvest yeah. season are your busiest times. Oh my goodness. So this man yep. was dedicated to his shitty farm. He was, and that's all he cared about. Okay. Yes, a hundred percent. So for him, he had to calculate basically like how much nanny was going to be a free agent before she can start working. Well, by the age of five, she was caring for her younger, her four younger sisters, three, excuse me, four younger siblings, one brother and three sisters, as if she was like head of the household. Wow. And because she wasn't biologically James, as you can imagine, she was not well liked as not as liked as the other children, especially by James, and wasn't looked at the same. So she's not, when all the other kids her age are going to school, she's not. She's staying home caring for her siblings and learning how to do house chores. Okay, she's freaking five. Oh my gosh, this is so sad. She was allowed to go to school in the winter months but by that point in time, you know, she's like six years old, six and seven, eight. When she went to school only in the winter, I mean, she's behind. She couldn't really catch up academically. So she never really gets more than an elementary education. She does learn to read and write, and that becomes a huge part of her life. But that's about as far as her education really takes her. The other thing is that, like, her mom was working the farm like a farmhand. So Nanny is inside being a mom, working, learning how to cook, she actually ends up being a very, very wonderful cook. Oh, really? Yep, something else that pops up a lot, too, in her life. Something that her mom liked to indulge in, actually, was magazines and books on romance, of the, of the romance genre. And so, she, very early on, she gave Nanny these magazines and these books. Now, in today's terms, I'm picturing, like, you know, Jude Devereux and Nora Roberts, like, type books Mm -hmm. but from my understanding back then there were these romance magazines that you could just like flip through and look and it told stories of you know love I mean look at all of our Disney characters that back in the day and, and things like that so what happens is that Nanny starts using this reading and these love of these magazines as and books as an escape This is how she escapes her reality of her miserable life on the farm. And it's not just that I realized I have not looked at my notes at all. I'm like intently staring at you and like I I loved this story in this book and I'm like, I haven't yeah, looked over. You haven't my looked kids. at all. I haven't. Look, like, I'm like, forget these notes. I've got I've it all. I've got this. This story is unbelievable. But she loves this fantasy of falling in love. Okay. And she's obsessed with these books. And her mom really kind of honed it in for her because, of course, her mom didn't get a chance to have the romance and the love. Yeah. She yeah. got pregnant and then, you know, was kind of forced into this marriage for the sake of saving face with the community and all of this stuff. So it was kind of one of her mom's fantasies as well. I don't think Lou intended on pushing that on Nanny and didn't know how far it would go for her. Mm-hmm. But Nanny became obsessed with these these romance magazines and books. And her, James was extreme, her dad, James, was extremely possessive over the girls. They lived out on the farm. They were only allowed to visit with family. 
They weren't allowed as they were growing up to go to dances, to go have fun with friends. They really didn't even get to make very many friends because they didn't get to go to school regularly. So the only connections that she has are with family. That kind of stunted her social skills a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, It certainly stunted how she could navigate coping mechanisms for interpersonal relationships, I would say. They would travel to different family events. Now, of course, at these family events... There was one instance where James walked in and saw a cousin kind of rubbing his hand up the back of one of his daughter's shirts. Well, that cousin got banned from the family event and like kicked out of the family, essentially. A big ruckus was made out of it. At another family event, he walked in on an uncle busting open Nanny's buttons on the front of her shirt the heck kind of family do we got here well we're talking old school early 1900s child molestation was not and incest things like Mm. that were different than they are today yes Yes. i mean they're still present today of course but Mm. yeah it was it was more prevalent and when he walked in and saw that nanny was the one uh, punished for being flirtatious oh my gosh yes So this is the type of childhood that we're talking about. Um, He was physically abusive. James was physically abusive to uh, his children. Now, he did draw the line at hitting his wife. There were no reports. Oh, interesting. He had, like, that boundary. He was mean to her. He was a bastard to live with, but Mm. he didn't, he would only, like, and it, of course, was disguised as discipline for the kids, you know, to, to hit them. Yeah. So just picture this childhood where she is responsible for, raising these children that are her siblings, not her actual children. Now I'm going to take you to when she's seven years old, and they're on a train. A bad storm system had actually come through, which gave them a reprieve from all the farm work. So they hop on the train, and they're going to go visit family. Well, ironically, the same storm system knocked down a tree, and the engineer had to stop the train as abruptly as one can stop a train, of Mm -hmm. course, which caused all the passengers to fly forward. Oh, gosh. Nanny was looking at one of her romance magazines, and she abruptly, her little body falls forward, and she hits her head. Oh. I I know. I see your face. On the handlebar, the arm or handbar that was right in front of her, to the point where she didn't wake up until they were at their destination at their relative's house. She had no recollection of it, and... It is determined that at this point in time, she has such a traumatic brain injury. She was so concussed that it resulted in permanent brain damage. Oh, yikes. From this point forward, she suffers sudden and severe migraines, um, what we know today to be migraines, but back then just sudden, very frequent, long, days, long-lasting, sharp headaches, things like that. Also, her temperament changed. She had dark, dark mood swings and Mm -hmm. went into deep stages of depression. So at this point in time, by the time she is 15 years old, we have set up a perfect storm psychologically and physically for a serial killer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so stereotypical textbook, except for the, the fact that this is a female, that it's crazy. The abusive lack of emotion, 
um, lack of love childhood. Traumatic brain injury. Now you throw in a TBI, and Mm. this poor girl had no chance at life, essentially. Uh Unless she could have. Maybe went on, got married, and been and lived a great life. We, you know what I mean. Like there is always that possibility if someone's out there, like with a traumatic brain injury in early childhood and a horrible childhood, doesn't mean you're going to be a serial killer. It's right, just that right. We do happen to see that coupled with a struggled adulthood, struggle with coping mechanisms, with those interpersonal relationships, and nanny does. She at fifteen discovers the only way she knows her and her sisters know the only way out from underneath their dad's thumb is to get married and to and to move out okay Uh like that her and her mom nanny and her mom didn't have a terrible relationship and they could actually they were really good seamstresses and they could make really beautiful dresses but the girls were not allowed to wear anything that james thought was even slightly appealing and they were covered from head to toe so Obviously, this was, this is very an, a, a very overbearing way to live. And by fifteen, you know, her friends are going out to dances. They're yeah. going, they're listening to jazz music. They're listening mm-hmm. to. She probably wanted to wear pretty dresses. Absolutely, and, we're encroaching on the twenties now. The nineteen, yeah. the roaring twenties, and all that stuff in her dad's eyes was seen as the devil. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. In order, she she decides, this is where I think she starts to learn how to manipulate. Because at 15, she's like, you know what? I think I know how I can appeal to him to get out of this house. I'm done. She's done with school. She's done as much schooling as she possibly yeah, can. Yeah. She's, you know, it's not happening for her. So she's like, why don't I go get a job outside of the house? I know that that is leaving less, you know, I'm not doing the labor here. But what if I get a job outside of the house and then help pay bills here? So I can help float the farm in the winter, cold winter yeah, months. Yeah, when the farm is slower. Yeah. Okay. So they agree. And she immediately finds a job at the linen thread mill. And honestly, her life starts to improve. She was loved in the mill. People, I mean, she was beautiful. She's 15. She learned, she's a little awkward at first because she's really only communicated with her family. Right. Sorry if you heard my computer. I forgot to mute it. But uh, so she's, you know, she's just learning these dynamics for the first time. But it turns out she was actually a really friendly and funny and nice girl. And so people enjoyed talking to her. Now, the older men were a little bit hesitant because she was so young and so it looked bad. But the old and the the younger women there were jealous of her beauty. So they weren't going to befriend her. But the older women kind of took her under her wing, really enjoyed her. And the young men loved them some nanny. They loved them some nanny. And she loved the young boys as well. Oh, I bet she did with the romance novels. Could you imagine? She's been fantasizing about this since she was old enough to read and understand. Right. And now she has a little freedom. Yes. And she's out of the house a little bit. I mean, she's still living with her parents, but... You know, during work hours, she's out of the house and she's engaging with men for the first time and they're loving her and she can tell they're loving her. She took up smoking just so she could linger outside with the boys a little bit longer. Oh, I see. Yes. 
which later becomes an addiction. <laughs> that that does tend to happen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so the thing is though is that nanny was set on i want a man for marriage not i'm not just going to sleep around and so that did eliminate some of her possibilities for the boys in the factory because some of the younger boys they weren't ready to settle down Mm -hmm. they were just looking for them you know a good romp in the sack yeah well she's probably had her mindset on love she did a hundred percent and love first, then marriage, and then the baby, the baby in the, the carriage. Ba- yes, yeah. In order to have sex, you love comes first, marriage comes first, and she, her mom had instilled that in her because she didn't want her to end up, you know, like like Lou yeah, did. Yeah. This kind of narrowed down the prospects a little bit, and that's going to bring us to Charlie Braggs. He was 17 years old, working at the mill, and he was smitten as a kitten with Nanny. Now, he was tall, handsome, with curly dark hair, and a smile that won Nanny's mother Lou over as well. Oh. And James even seemed to approve. And James approved of no one. Right? So, this was promising. Four months into their courtship in 1921, when Nanny was 16, Charlie couldn't wait anymore. And popped the question. See, that's why you don't give the milk away for free. Uh, yes, you get the question yes. quicker. Yeah. He's going to put a ring on it. He did. Now, the thing is, Nanny did have a diary. So we know from her entries that she felt pressured into the marriage by her parents because they had approved of him. But she was a little disappointed in the courtship and in like the actual you know, marriage ceremony and everything. I mean, it really didn't live up to her romance she novels the dress, expectations. The cake, the, all of the stuff. Yeah, yeah I got it. And there were it. family and friends at the wedding, but it just all happened so quickly that she was kind of like, I've been reading about this my whole life and this really wasn't. Yeah, I get it. It kind of was a flop compared yeah. to, I'm sure, what she was reading about. Right. And then the wedding night. Now, she lived on a farm. She knows about the mechanics of sex. That's not new to her. She's read her romance novels, mm-hmm. right? That's the problem. She read her romance novels, and here's the 17-year-old boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> So the wedding was she disappointed was ra- was as fast well was faster than the courtship. Okay, so oh. she convinces herself that night that it will get better. It w- should last longer eventually, <laughs> and won't be as painful either. Okay, okay, yeah. So she's yeah. like, I'm. She is is ready to commit herself to being a damn good wife and you know, eventual mother. It sounds so much more glamorous when you're reading about it, I'm sure, you know. It but does. His quivering it's... member. <laughs> yes. Pulsating. Yes. his sweaty six pack. You know, I'm For sure. sure. She probably had a beautiful, hot, steamy image of how this is supposed For to go sure. down. And... and you can't smell anything from books. So like the real thing, you know, and it, it was just... There's all, all night that. long, they, yes. their bodies collided. And then her, like, of course, 30 they, seconds later, right. she's like, what? They, what just happened? Yes. I'm okay. barely even breathing hard. Right. This like, is This not, is it? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So she's, but she's like, okay, this is Gonna this give it a try. Yep. Wakes up the next morning, ready to be a new wife. She walks downstairs, and there's Mother Braggs, her mother-in-law. And she was like, oh, oh. Hi, Mom. Well, 
she barely knows this woman. Remember, they courted for four months. Right, right. And it turns out that Nanny didn't ask the right questions during the courtship, okay? Because Mother Braggs was like, Charlie will be needing his breakfast before he goes to work. So I'm going to go wake him while you get on that. And she's like, uh, uh, okay, cool. When are you leaving? Like, party's over, wedding's well, over, like, uh, time for you to leave. Bitch, I live here. <laughs> well, Charlie was like, oh, honey, she lives here. Oh, boy. When she delicately asked, when is your mother going home? She lives here, silly. Question number one, nanny. Oh, yes. Is always, do you live with your parents? That has to be like number one question. Um, yes. Unless it is 2022 oh, no. and you are under the age of 18, you should automatically assume they live with their parents right. or a guardian of some sort. But over the age of 18, first question, do you still live with your parents? How much of a, a role do they still play in your life? Oh, my goodness. And so she didn't even, she had no clue up until she now. She had no clue. And she came to her new home with nothing but a suitcase. That's all she had in her possession. Oh, my god! Which is another reason why she married Charlie is because women of this time would typically, especially with her looks, would typically come with a dowry. But everyone around town knew if you marry a Hazel girl, she doesn't have a dowry. You know, so uh -huh. it's got to be for the looks because she's not giving you financial anything. You know, so that limited her as well. Mother Braggs still had a bit of an umbilical cord situation going oh, on with I her see. son. Mama's baby boy. Mama's baby boy. And any time, now Nanny started realizing any time that they wanted to go have a social life, like to the talkies, go to a dance, anything like that. Well, the ailing health of Mother Braggs, she would just start getting a real bad bout of stomach oh, no. ache. Got me the oh, diarrhea. My bring, goodness. Bring yeah. me the bedpan, son. <laughs> you can't leave me here. Yes. Yeah, okay. So the, the freedom in the social life that Nanny really thought that she was getting. Oh, no, she didn't. She was not. She basically went from one household with an overbearing overlord. To, to another, another. Oh. and now it's in the form of of Mother Braggs, and that's even, really unfortunate. It is, and even further, Mother Braggs did not approve of the smut that she was reading, and would often complain to Charlie about how she was filling her head with all that nonsense. You know, she was reading those behind closed doors. Oh, you know, she was. I, I she absolutely was because they end up in this game of cat and mouse, where Nanny would hide them, Mother Braggs would find them. And you know she was reading them before Heck she was yes. throwing them away? Heck yes. We know what she was diddling herself was in looking, the dark. <laughs> she was looking for them clearly. For sure. But she always found, found fault with everything that Nanny did and was complaining to Charlie about her, except for her cooking and her sweets. Nanny was a mean cook and she could cook her and she could bake. So she at least there was that. What ends up happening is remember I mentioned the cigarette habit earlier oh yeah yeah well nanny starts using that as an escape from her own house because mother braggs can't stand the smell of smoke so she starts smoking more heavily just to get outside away from her then she starts sneaking liquor from charlie's stash as well and develops herself a bit of a alcohol a little problem. habit yeah. yes yes but while all this is going on she, I mean, she's still being a wife and mother. She's got nice dinners on the table for Charlie when he gets home from work, mm -hmm. okay? 
She's keeping a clean house. She's also spitting out them babies because she had four daughters right in a row, just like her mom. Oh, wow. Between 1923 and 1927. So in her mind, having children solidified her marriage so that Mother Braggs couldn't convince Charlie to leave her. Uh-huh. Like, we're we're a unit yeah, now. We've you know? got these kids. But four children in four years, you know, like four and a half years like that, that was a lot. She was really only bonded with the first one, Melvina. And Charlie was never home. He never helped with anything. He was at work. And when he wasn't at work, he was at the bar chasing women. Oh, Charlie. Charlie developed himself a little bit of an appetite for the drink and for the pussy. And for the tail. He did. Oh. So. Now, did she know this? Did yes. She... Nanny knew about the women. She kept track of them, made notes in her diary about them so that she could use them against him later if needed. Okay. He was totally oblivious. He was completely unsympathetic to how exhausted she was. There were points in time where she was would be up for days if one of the girls was sick. Because she'd be up all night with a sick child and then have to continue the next day taking care of these children. Oh, my gosh. She had yeah. four kids under the age of five. No, and Mother Briggs was still there. Yeah. Like, Mother Briggs is still there just being, you know, a wet fart <laughs> in the house. So she didn't help with the kids either. No, no, she's not. She's she's just demanding. She's not helping with it. She's just another thing for them to take care of. And if Mother Bra- Briggs Braggs, it's B R. Oh, yeah, Mother, Mother Braggs. Braggs. Sorry, okay. um, if she's a wet fart, then her son Charlie is a hot fart. Okay, like in white pants. One of those. Oh, that's messy. You know, it just squeaks out. This it burns. is a, a family of bowel issues. It is. It is. And so I, we don't. We don't like Charlie. At no, all. he sucks from he what does. I'm hearing. He, it's just all a recipe and disaster when you think about how overwhelmed she is. You think about postpartum depression on top of the fact that she was already suffering from depression from her traumatic brain injury. I'm hearing enough to make me a, se- a serial killer already. I know, right. <laughs> exactly. Kidding. But seriously, no. though, that's so much for her to have to deal with already. Spoiler alert, I feel like he's really deserving of being murdered and he doesn't get murdered. Right? Like, like I'm, I'm seeing the justification <laughs> here. Which she's really good at, and you're, we're gonna, I'm gonna pull at your emotional, moral heartstrings because there are times where you're like, um, I get it. Okay, I understand. Okay, good to know. Yeah, but Charlie, Charlie lives. He does not die. Honestly, I thought he kind of want him to die. I thought so too. The whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, yep, you're a goner. You kind of deserve it. Mm-hmm. He is never ever around. Always skirting around with these girl, these other women. Okay. And it comes, oh boy, does it come back in a big way. She does get to the point where she loathes the touch of her husband and will only let him touch her if she knows she can get pregnant. Okay, that is that is what their so marriage kind of dissolves into. Yeah, children. So as she is in the times when she's going and doing errands, either her mom, Lou, or Mother Braggs is watch, are watching the children. She takes that time, though, to let loose. She starts going to bars. She starts drinking. It's even harder to be a mom with a hangover. 
Oh, sure. She gets into some dark, dark moods because of these hangovers and drinking. Word starts to get back to her mother. And not like word to your mother, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. She starts to hear um, how about her daughter flirting with other men, going into hotel rooms with other men, stories about her daughter walking around topless in bars. She had herself a perky pair. Even after four kids, she was spelt. Still got it. Yes. Okay. So she's flaunting it. Okay. Actually, she's still breastfeeding, so she has even more. Oh, so we've just got a lot going on. We do. Okay. Yeah. You do you. Mm-hmm. Girl, you do you. Her mom is kind of like, you know, getting like coming down on her pretty hard. Like, this is what I'm hearing. The other thing is, is that Charlie's hearing about it too. And the thing is, is that no one, they're all hearing these rumors, but no one could find evidence of it. She didn't stay overnight places. She was there in the morning taking care of her kids. Her kids were still clean. The house was still clean. She was in dark moods because of her hangovers, Mm -hmm. but in her depression. But they she still was doing. She was never caught. No, she was never caught. Charlie, on the other hand, is going around town telling everyone how miserable he is, falling into any woman's breasticles that will listen and and you know console him. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. He would leave for days on benders and sexcapades. Wow. For days while leaving the family. Now, Mother Braggs is not happy about this. She's noticing, she knows what her son is up to, gone for days, leaving, you know, nanny with all these kids and everything. So this is how this carries on for quite some time. And the children go from being the apple of her eye basically to the bane of her existence. And she can see... That nothing is going to change. She gets into a real deep depression. And she starts to remember that she was happy when it was just her and Melvina. Okay. And she comes to realize that she can either have one healthy and happy child or four miserable and unhealthy children. And so for her, the choice was very simple of what she needed to do. Now, Charlie was gone on one of his three-day benders again when he returns and he was also of course with women when he returns his house was full of people when they entered they're all dressed in black they're giving condolences they're hugging him he has no idea what's going on he sees nanny sitting next to her mom upset looks at his father-in-law and his father-in-law is giving him a look like where in the mother f have you been and I don't like where this is going. He asks, where are the girls? Well, it turns out that that the morning before, so an entire day has went gone has went by with him missing. Three days really had been gone, but the the town folk know that he's been gone at least twenty four hours because the day before Melvina had toast for breakfast. The baby was still being breastfed. Um her name was Florine was still being breastfed. But the other two middle girls had some porridge grain for breakfast. And there must have been something wrong with the porridge grain because they went outside to play, and by midday they couldn't walk. The doctor was rushed in and recognized the signs as acute food poisoning. It was too late to induce vomiting, and the girls were gone. Not even Mother Bragg suspected anything else and was very disappointed in her son's absence during such a tragic time in their family. 
Oh, that's so sad. Yes. She had put rat poison in the girl's porridge grain. Oh, my god! And purposely only gave Melvina toast that morning. And obviously the baby was being breastfed. So, um, Now, did the baby... It- did she do Florine's a- fine. Oh, okay. Yep. So she just kept two. Two. Yep. She really just wanted one, but she could she did, does end up keeping Florine, but Florine uh, is ignored most of her life. Yeah, Melvina is the apple of her eye and stays that way. She's the only one she's bonded with. Oh, wow. And uh now Nanny was given praise everywhere she went for enduring such pain and carrying on when her husband was off doing what he was doing. He right. was literally caught with his pants down. And she even, for the girl's funeral, made everyone a delicious spread. And people are just looking at her like, you are You're so amazing. courageous. Mm-hmm. Keeping it together for your it's family. It's so hard because it's like I... As a empath and social worker, mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't imagine what she was going through at home. Right. And then the other part of me is like, how heartbreaking that she, that's what she had to do. Yeah, that, you know? that's what she did. Yep, that she felt like she had to do that. She had survive. no other choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yep. just, gosh, this is really sad. Now, no one suspected anything because she always appeared to love and dote on the girls. And her house was always clean. The children were always clean. Um, she forced smiles all the time for her children. No one really knew about her dark moods. Uh, so even at this point in time, Mother Braggs is giving is singing Nanny's praises. Everywhere Charlie's going in town, is are, he is hearing, even mm-hmm. from his mother, how amazing Nanny is, which really got under his skin. Now, after the funeral, Charlie did try to stay home more, be, be more respectable. So one night, Nanny is waiting on him, serving him dinner, And she plops a plate down in front of him, and he looks at her and looks in her eyes and sees there's no soul there. He sees her for the first time. It scared him so much that that night he stole Melvina out of her bed and left. Oh, my gosh. So to the townspeople at this point in time, they're like, that motherfucker. She loses two of her children. She's keeping the family, you know, keeping everything together. And he steals her child in the middle of the night and leaves. Now, Mother Braggs is beside herself as well for all of this. Okay. Oh, wow. She's getting, but she's getting all kinds of sympathy, all kinds of attention. This is all taking, this is 1927. Now, this is a long year. Now, with Charlie's uh, income gone, she's got to go back to the mill and work. And so she she gets a job at a cotton mill and is missing Melvina. Yeah, because she did love Melvina. She did. So she's missing Melvina. Florine is still there with her because she was sleeping since she was breastfed. She was sleeping with Florine. So he couldn't take Florine. He wanted to, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't. So he only took Melvina. And now she has to get into this caretaking role for Mother Braggs because Mother Braggs seems to be in complete shock over her son's disgraceful behavior she starts getting ill she starts getting stomach pains that are so severe that she couldn't get out of bed most days so nanny is right there taking care of her Mm -hmm. and in the summer of 1927 mother braggs passes away without her son returning home to say goodbye goodbye her death 
her death was attributed to natural causes because after all, she'd been afflicted with many stomach pains and headaches and all this stuff before, and she was getting older. So no one questioned anything. You know, they're just, oh, her health really declined after her son did the disgraceful thing that he did. And the thing is, is that, you know, Nanny was serving her all of her food, and Nanny had a fondness for making these stewed and sweetened prunes, and Mother Braggs loved them. She loved her some prunes. Loved her some prunes when you've got the diarrhea. Oh. Prunes, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, see, my mom always told me that prunes were good for if you're constipated. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. Like, they would really get the bowels flowing. Yes, but... I mean, apparently it was seen as like just any sort of back at this point in time, we didn't really know. And it was seen as just some sort of it's supposed to help your digestive system. Oh, OK. Which it so could, probably it was a does. common thing. And, um, and so she so was like here. Mother Braggs was eating these prunes frequently. If you're putting up, you're picking up what I'm putting down. I think I am mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So now we have tea cakes, prunes, barbecues done. All <laughs> yeah, of yeah. There's a lot that you can't All eat ruined. after listening to our podcast. <laughs> so Charlie, here's the weird thing, though. So she's in the ground now. Mother Braggs is gone. And Charlie still owns the house, but she's living alone with Florine in it. In the summer of 1928, so this is like a year after his mother dies, he shows up with a woman who had an older son and Melvina in tow. Oh, no, he does not. Oh, yes, he does. She was expecting it. Not much was said, but it was understood that here's my new family. You're They're in, you're out. Oh, my gosh. Not only that, but he gets his old job back at the thread mill. So she's got to leave. She's got to get out of the house, which she does without saying a whole lot of words. But she takes Melvina with her. I wondered what was going to yep. happen with Melvina. Nope, she and he didn't really put up a fight about that. He was just like, "Okay, fine, Melvina can go with oh, you." This guy's horrible. He didn't even show up for his own mother's passing. Right. right. Nope, nope. And the reason that he came back now is because he owned the house. He's like, "Oh, I can have this house." And his mom was dead, so he didn't have to worry about her disapproving glares or comments. And he figured that he was doing right because his new woman she would have approved of much better than Nanny anyway. Wow. Yep. So she just packed her clothing and the kids and left, and she went back to the Hazel Farm. She went to live with her parents. And as you can imagine, this isn't great. It's not a great situation. Now, her mom, Lou, is happy to have the grandkids around, but her dad was like, get to work, bitch. Oh, my gosh. You know, if you're going to live here, I'm going to support three extra mouths, so she's got to get a job. Now, she cannot go back to the thread mill because now Charlie's back there. All right. And she was previously working at a cotton mill, but that was a seasonal job. So she can't get a job there. So she does end up getting another factory job, but it was in Anniston, which I talked about earlier where the military base was. Mm -hmm. So she had to leave for long periods of time to work, basically like work all week and come home on the weekends. So her mother was took on the mothering responsibilities of the children, where in the meantime, She's living her best life in Anniston. She could pursue men, live free. She was still, after four children, beautiful and vibrant and still reading those romance Mm, novels. She did love those. She did, hoping for a better future. 
In all, she ended up married to Charlie Braggs for eight years. It was dissolved after that. After Soon after she moved into her parents' house, he sent the divorce papers. And she was kind of like, you know what? I was 16 then. Now she's 24. Seems like she should be older than that. And this is going to be a It really theme does. It's throughout this whole like, thing. I feel like we're 50 years in yep. to, to her nope. life. She's only 24. And she starts taking to the Lonely Hearts columns. And not only that, so it's like, it's like oh, online dating is now today, yeah, but yeah. it's in the old timey newspapers. And I don't fault her for that. I mean, No, me neither. It's like, I got to get, you know, single girl yeah, here. Right. Got to put myself back out there. Uh-huh. She's still hoping for that love in romance. Oh, and that, you know, that my heart just breaks for her in that because it's like, I think she just wanted that so bad and loved oh, reading about it. it mm-hmm. And She does. Like, that is a huge motivator for a lot of what she does in her life and she ends up with this scrub that abandons her and so she's sending photos and sweet treats with her replies when they're corresponding back and forth with different men so they can see that she's got a lot to offer she's a delicious baker and look at how beautiful she is Mm -hmm. and she was really putting it was that's like putting a filtered selfie out there to let them know yeah this is what you're getting and that's amazing and so this is how she lived, replying to the letters, flirting through the postal sil- serve, you know, postal service, and um, sometimes being downright scandalous in her mm. language. But you know, she's had four kids; she knows what it's all about now. Right. She took a liking to a man named Robert Franklin Harrelson. He was twenty-two years old, and he lived in a modest apartment and held down a job in a factory. He lived in Jacksonville. He loved jazz music, which was like a nearby, kind of a nearby, but a few towns over. Um, He loved jazz music and was well-liked. They exchanged letters. And soon after receiving, like the day after receiving her reply to a letter, Frank showed up at the Hazel Farm doorstep, literally like, I want to meet you. Your letter was amazing. Wow. And he's courting her with gifts like chocolate and flowers and lace, things that she had always read about but had never experienced with Charlie. Oh, so she is probably loving it. Oh, yes, yes. So two months after meeting for the first time, he's down on one knee and the two are married. Oh, boy. Her second wedding was far more well attended than the first because at this point in time, she was able to make friends in her life. Right. And she really believed that this was her happily ever after. Oh. Her parents were not happy because they had not been included in the decision at all, which she did on purpose. She felt like her parents had too much say the first time around, so this time they're going to get no say. She packs those girls up and off to Jacksonville they go. Her mom and dad had actually tried to talk her into leaving the girls with them because they were primarily bonded to Lou at this point in time because she had been working in Aniston. Right, right. And But she's like, no, we're going to be a happy family. The girl's dad, Charlie, didn't really give a crap that they're going to move to Jacksonville. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he cared much about anything. No, nope, nope. So he had enough money, Frank had enough money saved for a down payment on a little two-bedroom log cabin. And their first night, they made love by the log fire when the girls were tucked into bed. It was everything. Sounds majestic. Yes. AF. Right. He's 22. So he's two years younger. She's got herself a younger man. Mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. I imagine it went a lot better than the first wedding night. Yeah. That one doesn't sound like it was too uh, wonderful. No, it definitely wasn't long. 
So, <laughs> I mean, they didn't make any reference to the size, but you get what I'm saying. I do. However, I'm like scared to be happy for her because I know it's not going to. Oh, the other shoe is about to fall. Yeah. 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 So for a little bit, she's like, this well, I mean, is fantastic. She also murdered her, her children. And right. And, and mother-in-law. mother-in-law. So yeah. There's yeah. that too. So, you know, God's not really there looking down is, too favorably on her. Right. There is that. He's not putting those Jesus in the good jar for her. No, no. There's something that Nanny didn't know about Frank in the writing back and forth and finding a man in a town that she's not familiar with. Because it turns out that Frank was struggling with the drink. He oh, had a little okay. bit of an addiction. To, not a little bit. He had an addiction to, this is during Prohibition, so homemade moonshine. Oh, yikes. And then at the end of Prohibition, just straight up whiskey. Yeah, oh, he was hardcore. These are the times, you know, these are the 30s. Mm -hmm. It's, oh. And this is why, folks, we make a list of qualities we want in a partner and we take that time to find them. Right. Now, she started off slow at first. She did not know his reputation in town until the first time that she was contacted to come pick him up from the drunk tank in the prison, or in the prison, I mean, in the jail. The jail. And she discovers that they know very much who Frank is. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. But you know what? She made their home beautiful. She cooked him elaborate meals which end up going uneaten by Frank most of the time because after work, he's just off with his buddies at the bar. It's like Charlie all over again, but this time it's just drink. Oh. Yeah. The longer she nestles in this town, the more she's learning. But she's kind of still like, she sticks in this place of indecision for a long time. And she even tried to help him get off the drink, okay, as time went on. That was not working. He started hiding it, mm-hmm. of course, you know, all around. I'm surprised he didn't die trying to get off of it with moonshine and straight yeah, whiskey all the, the time. The homemade moonshine. I mean, this Dear no wonder Lord. why there are so many people drinking in this time. I mean, if you really think about it, I know it sounds like, what are the chances of her finding two men that enjoyed the drink? Uh, really, it's not hard in, mm-hmm. in this point in time. We didn't know anything about addiction back then. They right. drank just heavily, and it was ready. And then when it became illegal, it was even more, you know, tantalizing to indulge in. So it was a thing. Mm-hmm. For but, sure. So then she's like, you know what? I can't beat him. Why not join him? I'm going to go out and get drunk with Frank. Now, remember, Nanny struggled with her own addiction yes. as well. Like when yes. she went on drinking, she drank to excess. She got hung over. It was a problem. And this time... By this time, Melvina is kind of getting encroaching. She was 12 years old, so she's encroaching on teenage years. And they had made arrangements. Melvina was with a friend, so she was fine. But they straight up forgot about Florine. Oh, no. Little Florine comes home from school. She's all by herself. She was alone for two days before the police came and picked her up, took her back to Alabama to her dad, Charlie. Oh, my gosh. So then. They forgot about her? They did and just went on a drinking bender. Oh, this poor little girl. So she now Nanny is pissed that Florine gets shipped back to her dad, shows up at Charlie's house, takes Florine back. They hardly exchange words. He just lets her go. That's it. What in the hell would these people? I can't. Yes, I'm so mad I I abandoned my child. Right. But you're not going to go on a drinking bender because I'm trying to join my husband instead of. You know, instead of him getting better. 
now in this meantime, she is still reading all the romance novels. She is still hoping for that fantasy. And she is writing some people in the Lonely Hearts column, but she never acts on it. She never physically meets them at this point in time. She ends up staying with Frank for 16 years. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. That long living like that in indecision. Yep. So at this point, her children are grown and they know the same thing that Nanny knew at this age. I have to marry to get out of this house. Mm -hmm. She's not a great mom. Frank's not a great stepdad by any means. They probably wanted to get out of the house, I'm guessing. The other thing I forgot to mention, because I still haven't really looked at my notes here, is that Frank uh, is is... When he comes home drunk, he does get physical with Nanny and at times got physically abusive with the girls as well. I wondered Mm -hmm. if that was going to come into play with his drinking. Yep, yep. And Florine was really ignored, which she was happy about as she got to be a teenager because her mom didn't really care who she dated, what she did. Melvina's a different story. She got very involved in, like, picking Melvina's man and Malvina ends up marrying in 1942 a man named Mor- Mosey Haynes. And Nanny approved of him. They were happy. They lived in a quiet house, tolerated Nanny's visits when she would come over. Now, Nanny was trying to be careful not to be overbearing mm-hmm. like her mom was, all right, but still be there for her daughter, especially when she announced she's pregnant. So she's like, okay, this is where the overwhelming part can come in. Like, I want to be there. I don't want my daughter to have the same future as, as me. So she gives birth to a son. Everything's going well. And then shortly after, Melvina announces she's pregnant again. Now, at this point in time, Nani is like, excuse me, Nanny. One of my son's nicknames is Nani sometimes, <laughs> so it's hard for me. I'm <laughs> right. sorry if I've called her na- Nani. Nanny um, is like, No, this is what I was afraid of. She's going to spit out babies for this man. And in the meantime, he's going to end up going off, getting, you know, overwhelmed with family life, drinking, cheating on her. Yep. Like, I am not going to, I don't want her to be as overwhelmed. That was what her fear is. Having too many babies right in a row and being overwhelmed with it all. So Florine did move in with Melvina to help as well. Okay, like help her with the house, just another way to try to offer supports. This is all happening in, you know, 1944. We're now in World War II. Mm-hmm. America has joined the war. The other thing, Nanny is like mad at Mosey at this point in time because in her eyes, like you didn't even wait for her body to heal before you climb back on top of her for your own selfish needs. Right. So the childbirth of the second child was terrible. It was long and Melvina almost died. In it, all right? Nanny was there for the whole thing. Because of the difficulty, Melvina was given um, ether very liberally to help her through it. Mm -hmm. So after her son was born, she couldn't stay awake at all. So the baby was given to Nanny to care for, and she's rocking the baby. When the doctor later returned to the room to check on everyone, the baby was deceased. I had a feeling yes. this is what we were going to... This is where we we are at. He was thought to have been deprived of oxygen for too long during the long and difficult birth. And the examination showed no clear and concise cause of death. So that's the best that they could do. Melvina was in shock and was still struggling with the effects of the ether and had to be told over and over again what happened mm-hmm. before she could really register. Um. However, when she returned home from the hospital the next day, she told Florine about this really strange dream that she had. 
about how um, she saw her mom take a pin out of her hat, like a hat pin, that was a thing back then, take a pin out of her hat and put it right into the baby's soft spot. (gasps) Oh my God. Yes. And so to Florine, she's like, isn't that just a terrible nightmare? I can't believe I had that nightmare. And Florine's like, yeah, that's really awful. But it triggered a memory for Florine. When the baby had passed away, Florine was out of the room giving the good news that the baby was here. Because remember, the husbands weren't allowed, the dads weren't allowed in the labor and delivery room Mm -hmm. back then. So Florine was out giving the good news that it was a boy and, and it was finally over and all that stuff. When Florine returned to the room, she distinctly remembers seeing her mom sitting there in that rocking chair playing with a hat pin, rolling it in between her thumb and forefinger. Oh my gosh, that is so disturbing. So she does tell Melvina about this. And they're both like, no, this can't be. You know, she doted about her her, grandchild. It's her grandchild, her oldest grandchild, Robert. She dotes on him like this. This just can't be. So for the time being, they just set it aside like, Write it no off. Way. This is this yeah. is no way. So then the death of the baby, the sudden death of the baby was too much for Mosey and Melvina's marriage. And it it dissolves very quickly. Mosey blamed Melvina. She did something wrong during the pregnancy and delivery. Melvina blamed I mean, she was in postpartum depression. She was really struggling. So the marriage falls apart and Melvina kind of takes a page out of her mother's book. She starts going out and finding comfort in other men's arms who are going to provide solace for her and provide for her everything that her husband is not. Nanny is pissed. In Nanny's eyes at this point in time, she's like, I have done everything to stop you from becoming me. Mm Mm-hmm. And instead, you do anyway. Your husband's never home. He's now out and about, you know, drinking with other women. You're out and about with other men. And I'm left with Robert, her son. So she's like, I cannot believe you. She is so angry that what she was trying to prevent by killing that newborn came to fruition anyway. Happened anyway. Mm -hmm. So... In her, and then another thing that's happening is that it's during the war. So Frank never volunteered for the draft because he didn't want to leave his alcohol. And he was heavily judged. Yeah, he was heavily judged around town for that. Like all, all the people at the local watering hole are slowly like not showing up because they're off at the war and he is still there. Well, then the government passes a mandate where if you're between the ages of 18 and 39, I believe it was, and you were a factory worker, you couldn't volunteer for the draft because we needed production workers. So he was saved by that, Mm -hmm. but he was still chastised for you didn't volunteer when you had the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So he's getting worse at this point in time with his alcoholism and the way he's treating Nanny. And she is caring for Robert almost full time. Melvina is leaving for days on end, just kind of like Charlie did. Right, okay? right. And although she always has excuses and justifications for why she does what she does, the truth of the matter is that she is angry. She's always been angry. And as the book, I wanted to quote the book here, it said, every moment of every day was a constant struggle against her own inherent depression And the minor ordeals that she was forced to suffer through. Because minor ordeals to her were catastrophes. She could not, she was either gloriously happy or gloriously sad. 
she could not cope with even minor, you know, Mm -hmm. um, problems with life. And she was not okay with where she had ended up in life. I mean, this was supposed to be her better marriage and life. I get it. Now, Robert had always loved his grandma, Nanny's sweets, especially her cookies. Nanny had fixed... um, No, I don't want grandma to fix anything else. She had fixed a soup for Robert for her grandson, made him eat it all before he was allowed to eat any cookies. The cookies ended up having rat poison in them. Oh, my God. I cannot handle any more of these kids dying. Yes. This is horrible. Now, she always kept the rat poison high up on the cupboard because there was a rodent problem. She kept it high up on the cupboard so that it wasn't accidentally mistaken for sugar or flour, anything like that. And that day, she happened to allow Robert several treats, slowly building up the poison in his system. If he had only had a couple, he probably could have recovered from the ordeal. But by the time um, it was close to bedtime, he was so sluggish and sore that he went to bed early. Oh, um, this poor little boy. He did nothing. nothing. Robert and that baby are the two that like literally had nothing to do with her life. It was just one was trying to prevent her daughter. Right. And then and the other one was simply because she was angry at her daughter for not listening to her and for creating repeating the, repeating the, the same life that she had. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, this this is heartbreaking. So in the morning, Robert was gone. Although oh. she still go, did go through the motions of like trying to wake him up and calling the doctor, uh, it just it blows my mind because it's like she was caring for him full time, and cl- clearly she has no soul. Clearly, like there was no clearly she was caring for her two daughters. She was caretaking for Mother Braggs. Yeah. Yep. So her cause of death was, or his, excuse me, his cause of death was ruled as asphyxia or at that time known as cot death because he's just a toddler. Yeah. Yeah. There was no suspicion of foul play because this kind of thing happened all the time. And Nanny was so like shaken with grief that she could not possibly have done this. What kind of grandma? Would Grandmas do this don't to their, child, their grandchildren. Right? You know, especially not in this time, they think. So the next day, Melvina finally returns home, much like her father, Charlie, did. Remember? Uh Returned home and found his two daughters had had gone. And Melvina realizes this is the second child that she has lost in the care of her mother. And that was it for her and Florine, as far as they were concerned. Their suspicions were were confirmed, but they had no actual proof to move forward with it. When Frank returned home and learned what was going on, he actually sat down and had a drink with the girls and said, quote, I reckon I'm next. I honestly thought he was. Yeah. Like, I thought that's the direction we were going, mm-hmm. and not this poor, innocent child. From that point on, they never spoke to their, after the funeral, they never spoke to their mother again, Florine or uh, Melvina. I can't they say that I blame with them. Yep. One month after Robert's death in 1945, the war had ended and Frank's drinking buddies were back. And so he's back spending even more time at the bar with them. She had to pick him up one night from the drunk tank. And he was actually being really funny and charming. And they were laughing and kind of like almost like old times Mm -hmm. at this point in time. And so they get inside and they start like messing around a little bit. But he got too rough. And she was like, no, enough. You know, you're done. Well, he wasn't going to stop at that point in time, and he ends up raping her to the point where he drew blood. Oh, gosh. 
and he and he twisted her arm so far far back like behind her back that she thought it was going to break like she heard popping thought it was going to break and she for her she did not sleep that night Uh, she went out in the morning to her garden her garden she was a very good gardener and her garden was like her her place of peace and contentment and so she's crying in the garden and she looks and sees that someone had had dug under one of her rose bushes and she's like you have got to be kidding me you know this is my one place and even that's destroyed frank gets up that morning doesn't say anything to her nothing just leaves for work and as far as she was concerned like that's it but she's got to figure out how i mean frank is different than children and old ladies yeah right and the other problem is frank doesn't eat his meals at home yeah, because he drinks at the them bar. at the bar. He does, exactly. He hides his alcohol, so she has no idea. There's no alcohol in the house. She doesn't allow it in the house. So she's like, how am I going to do this? Well, upon closer discovery of trying to fix her rose bush that was all messed up, you know, somebody digging in it the night before, she reaches her hand down, and wouldn't you know it, there's a whiskey bottle. Oh. Frank was hiding his alcohol in her garden. So now... Game on. Game on. So that night, she went to bed early because she didn't sleep the night before after being raped. and As one probably wouldn't. Right? And uh, she goes to bed early, and when she woke up the next morning, there's Frank in her garden, bottle in hand, dead as a doornail. I told you, I would pull at your moral heartstrings here. The kids... No, there's Not no okay. excuse. Nope. No, we hate her. It. We hate her on that principle alone. I mean, we we understand how she made that choice with the with the first I'm not mm-hmm. justifying. Not I justifying. know, right, right. We get it. Um the the other children no not okay just, unforgivable yeah she's a murderer Frank she's a murderer. I don't know Frank, how I feel. No one's real sorry Frank died. So um, Drinking that moonshine, he had to have been on the brink. Here's the, well, here's the thing. He was so drunk that he was practically pickled with whiskey, and the smell of alcohol by the time the doctors and police arrived overpowered that of the decomp. Oh, Okay? There was no He was literally question. pickled, right? He was. And he was a well-known drunk in town. So no one questioned anything because they're like, yeah, this was either alcohol poisoning, cirrhosis of the liver finally took the old man, which he's not that old, but still, or perhaps he passed out out here and the cold took him. Right. But either way, he's Seriously, dead. though, like he probably was close as much as yeah, it sounds like he was right. drinking. Yep. And now the doctor, I thought this was funny. The doctor was a little concerned because he had a a little bit of an affliction himself for the same type of whiskey that was in that bottle, but they had nothing to take from that bottle as, as evidence at all to make sure that it wasn't something that could afflict the rest of the town because it appeared as though old Frank had drank it to the last drop, and he had. But Nanny was for sure to pick the bottle up carefully without getting herself dirty, rinsed it out, and put it back in his cold, dead hands. Uh, so that there was no poison, because it was rat poison, right, right. that she put in it was detectable. Now, at this point in time, she was a little surprised. Frank had a life insurance policy she didn't know about. 
Oh, what? So there's like a pleasant surprise at the end for her. (laughs) There is, because now she's got this windfall of money and she can live like she's never lived before. She actually does something pretty smart with it. She buys 10 acres of land to invest in and sharecroppers come in and lease that land from her. She built wow. herself a little house like at the corner of it. like the, And it really was described as more of a library than a house. She got herself some books. She's Smut living. books. Yes. All her romance books. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And she's just living amongst her books while her land is making her money because they're leasing it from her so that they can farm it. Yeah. Not, not, a, not bad a bad idea. Thing. Yeah. So at this point in time, she cuts ties with, with family really because like she knew her parents would suspect they knew her temper. They knew how, how she had acted ever since that brain injury when she was seven. Mm-hmm. So she cut ties with them. Her kids don't talk to her anymore. So she was really, and she's fine with that. So if we're keeping track, we've got two daughters, a mother-in-law, two grandchildren, and one husband on her track record so far. Let's keep going. She started getting newspapers from out of town because she needed to expand her horizons at this point in time. For two years after Frank's death, we know that she traveled by railway a lot, living her best life, buying furs, buying expensive perfumes, makeups, just absolutely glamming herself up, living like she's never been able to live before, and writing, writing, writing men in those lonely heart columns. Uh, More than likely, to the columns. with her travels, she's meeting up with men from those columns. There was a docu- There was a letter where she like was going to arrange, like where she was going to marry this guy named um, Hendricks, but there was never any documents found that could never be connected to her. So it's unknown if she did. But the next person that she meets by. Uh, by railway or, well, I guess I should say by Lonely Hearts. She goes and uh, meets him. He lived in Lexington, North Carolina. His name was Arlie Landing. And that's two states away from, There's you know, some, North Carolina is two states away from where she lives. There's interesting names in this. I know. For sure. Arlie Landing. In the letters, he was, like, describing, like, how he's just never really found the right one. Because at this point in time, she is 42 years old. And she's gorgeous. She is still gorgeous. Still aging Aging, like a fine wine. Exactly. Arlie is like, I can't believe that I was writing a Lonely Hearts column and I got this. Like, he is enamored with her immediately. And, of course, she's showing up in furs and fancy perfumes. Got the get up. Her hair is immaculate. Her makeup's immaculate. Oh, yeah. Arlie's here for it. So, in his letters, he was like, yeah, I just never really found the right one. Well, unfortunately for Nanny... She didn't read between the lines that I didn't find the right one was I was really just jumping from bed to bed to bed because I didn't want to find the right one. But now that I'm getting older, I need a wife and someone to cook and clean for me. Mm -hmm. So um, in less than a week after meeting... They were planning to be wed. Oh, boy. That's the other thing. You're noticing the jumping right into things. It's that romance mentality that she's looking for. She's still seeking this out. Yep, she is. But this time, she got a little smart with it. He gave her gifts and the social life that she always dreamed of. They're going out to parties. They're making friends. But in their social life, and and she's making her friends, she's also creating a network of spies for Uh, her. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 
We have trust she's issues. She's very charming. Of course she does. Look at her first two husbands. She's yeah, she's and not her father. batting very well here. Right. Exactly. So, in the beginning he did like to drink, but it was under control. Then he started to slip and party a little bit more. Then within a month of being married, he slipped up completely and spent the night with one of his lovers. Uh-oh. Now, rest in peace. <laughs> was it Arlie? Arlie. Arlie. Yeah. yeah. He's not in the story long. May, <laughs> may he always be with us. I don't mean yep, to laugh, but I, I feel like this might be it for her because she's probably just yep. done. So. Yep, yep, yep. So she was like, you know, and she knew. She's like, okay, he doesn't come home. I know. I've got my little network of spies. Yeah. I know where he's at. She packs up and leaves. Leaves a little note that says, went on a trip, be back soon. He's like, fuck, I was caught. Okay. And she did go on a trip. She went meeting up with her other... She's still writing letters in those Lonely Heart columns. Okay? Still looking for her love. Mm-hmm. So she comes back a week later, said she went to Alabama, except the return train that she was on did not come from Alabama. She had even more furs and jewelry and more look like more like a you got those in Shopping New York spree. type of thing. Okay. Or was given to them by men. We're not sure. But um, he apologized to her, was ashamed he got caught with his dick out, basically, you know? And he promised not to do it again. And for a little while, he kept that promise. But old habits die hard. Don't they? And that pussy just kept calling to him. It was too easy for little Arlie. He was a weak man. He was a weak man. That's for sure. So. I'm guessing she still had the spies? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This time, when he was caught, she left for a month. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yep. The cycle continued like this for five years. Oh, wow. And Arlie never really did get his act together. So he kept doing it, and then she'd just yeah. leave. And he had, like, a good um, he had a good job, and so he was the foreman. So what would happen would he, he would work half the day, then be like, okay, you guys look good here. I'm gone. Go spend the rest of his time in the bar and courting women or, you know, meeting up with a woman and whatnot. Then come home, quote, unquote, come home at night to have dinner with her. When she knew, just couldn't stay faithful. Yeah, and she knew where he was the whole time. Well, this is kind of funny, too. This cycle continues for five years, and she's really not unhappy because every time she gets pissed off at him, she goes and meets up with another guy on the railway. Like, right. this isn't bad for her. But a flu epidemic hits, and it, Arlie kind of made this, like, resolution to her in the winter of 1951 that... I am, I'm done. I'm sorry. I'm really am done. I'm going to stay home. And he does for like three months and it nearly drives her crazy because she's used to her alone she's time. Like, oh my God. Could you please yep. go yep. hook up with somebody? And it was like basically there from the winter of 1951 to kind of like January, 1952. That's when he was home, not really sneaking around. Nanny started acting like the doting wife. Now she's got to make the elaborate food again. She's baking again. All that upkeep and all that stuff. She couldn't really write to her lovers because he's home during the mail service. All right. That I'm sure did not make her happy. She also can't leave on the train anymore and do her stuff. So she kind of went into a depression. Not kind of. She did go into a depression. She stopped making food. They started having leftovers, then sandwiches, then nothing at all. And she realized, like, he saw the real her. She stopped wearing the elaborate clothes, the makeup. She went, what we know today is, into a a deep depression. Yeah. yeah. And so she's like, oh, my gosh, I just let him see the real me and the the dark me. So she just as abruptly 
you know, we've got these manic episodes. Mm -hmm. Just as abruptly, she's back on the track, and she's putting her makeup on. She's cleaning the house. She's making her famous stewed prunes. Oh, God. I don't mean to laugh, but I'm just like, no, not the prunes. Yes. And she cooked him an apple pie that was also made with prunes that was one of her mother's recipes. And in the morning, she called the doctor, who was very late getting to her house call, because they were short-staffed, and there's a flu epidemic. Mm -hmm. And by the time he arrived, old Arlie was gone. Wouldn't you know it. His cause of death was ruled as heart failure, because at the time, they figured it was probably influenza, but they did not want to elicit panic. Gotcha. Yes, it seems like, uh... Yep. Deadly and, faints. And they um, the everlasting yeah, faints. Yeah, the everlasting faints. Yep. That's what it was. Say, sorry about your luck. It was probably the flu, but we're trying not to tell too many people that because they're going to get panicked. Yeah. And so it wasn't looked into because they didn't even have the staff to look into it. She was the center of attention and sympathy in town. Oh, your husband died. Look at the cycle that she keeps. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Here's what she wasn't expecting. She was like, I'm his next of, next of kin. Where's his, you know, life Where's insurance? Where's the policy? The house. Well, because this is a little bit later in life, they're in their 40s, Arlie had already left his uh, effects to his younger si- daughter, uh, his younger sister. Oh. And they had just never updated anything. Okay, nanny, rookie mistake. Right. All right. right. So nanny's like, mm. Mm-mm. She needed the Black Widows to come Mm-mm. in. We, right. The other ones to oh, come in. She finds a way. Oh, boy. Because now a big little sis comes in and is like, yeah, this is my house, so you got to get out. So she's getting even more sympathy in town, packing her stuff. I've got to move in with my mother-in-law. I'm being kicked out of my house because it actually belongs to my sister-in-law. Then... She figures out a way to get some money out of that house when she burns it down. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I didn't see that one coming. None of her stuff was in there because she had already packed to move because she'd gotten kicked out by her sister-in-law. It was her sister-in-law's house. Nanny is so cray. Yes. Savage AF. Now, they could not find a cause of that fire, don't you know? Even though the sister-in-law is like, hello, she it was Nanny. It. Right. <laughs> Even the mother-in-law was like, no, it couldn't have been her. She's so sweet. And she's moved in with her. She's taking care of her. Her new mother-in-law was very distraught about the death of her son. The sudden death of her son. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. So don't you know that she started being cared for? Stop it. By Nanny. <laughs> Stop it. I can't. I can't handle this. Yes. she Nanny is such a good woman. She's a giver. Her hus- she's a widow. She's a new widow. Her husband died. Okay. And then her sister-in-law kicks her out. The house burns down. She's living with her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law is so sick. She's caring for her mother-in-law. What a this wonderful woman. This woman is amazing, and she's a great cook as well. And, and she is, and don't you know her mother-in-law, with all her stomach issues, loved Needed those some prunes. prunes. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't handle those this. Those prunes. Yep. Nanny and her prune. I will never eat a prune. And here's the ever problem. Again. It was thought to be when she when Mrs. M- when Mrs. Lanning died, her mother in law, 
It was thought to be influenza. She's an older woman. Why would it have been anything There's else, Amber? This epidemic. Epidemic. Oh my gosh. And we're not going to take the time to look into it any further because she's an old woman. Right. And there's an epidemic. And Nanny's so sweet, just yes. caring for all these people. Yep. And she made a fabulous dinner after that funeral. Oh, wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? She's so strong and brave. And now she's homeless. And I'm sure people are eating this up still like, oh my gosh, she's lost all of these people. Because don't you know that Mrs. Lanning's house was also left to the sister-in-law? So she's out. Yeah. So Nanny stayed in Lexington long enough to bury her mother-in-law. And then she went back to to Alabama and she still made out several several thousand dollars richer because she did get life insurance money from Arling. Arlie. Not the house money, but she made sure that the sister-in-law didn't get the house money either when she burned that shit to the ground. Yep. Oh my goodness. When she returned, she received news that her young sister, Dovey, who who was very young, she was only in her late, later, mid-late thirties, was sick and and she needed to come right away. So she did. And she nursed Dovey for a week and could tell like Dovey was having diarrhea issues again. This is still during the influenza pandemic, and um, sorry if you can hear my dogs. They're saying hello. Uh, they even can't handle. They cannot Nanny. handle it. But she was legitimately nursing Dovey. She really did love her siblings. But after a week of that shit, she was like, "Listen, bitch, you're not getting any better. I'm gonna put you out of your misery. Here's some prunes." I was actually going to make a joke that don't tell me nanny got the prunes she got the prunes oh my yes, gosh dovey got the prunes simply because after an entire week of nanny caring for her and she's not miraculously getting better and she has to bring her the bedpan every time she needs to shit herself she's over Look it. here she's like you know what i'm gonna put you, i can see you're dying anyway i'm gonna put you out of your misery have my sweet prunes good wow. night <laughs> Yeah. So she's just like going to town now. Oh, now it's time to really strap in because she learns at Dovey's funeral. She's like, where the fuck? What the fuck? Where's Frank? Where's Frank? James, her dad. Where's dad? They're like, oh, sorry. You know, you've kind of been out of touch with the family. Lou, her mother, informs her James died. She's right pissed. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I didn't get to kill him. I hate that guy. Right? I'm sure. I've been killing all these other people. And, and he, he was probably Basically on the list. because of his of how angry she was always at him. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's just gone. She doesn't get her revenge. But everyone in the family kind of saw her as like, hey, mom's alone now. The farm is struggling. You have money. You're seen as a rich widow. Got these fur, you know, boots in the yeah. fur. Yeah. <laughs> going on here, woman. Apple bottom jeans yeah. over here. Right. She's swanky so lou wants her to come move in oh god no don't do the it farm. so she does the two become pretty close absolutely i think you know where this is going i do um her mother started ailing with some stomach pains also had quite an afflict uh, affliction for the prunes oh. God, everybody loves it. If somebody, I swear to God, if somebody offers me prunes. <laughs> no. no more with the prunes, people. I We're done. Will lose no more it. prunes. I will absolutely lose it. Yep. 
So she's now got to bury your mom, too. And everyone is looking at her with such sympathy. She lost a husband. She lost a sister. So nobody... She lost a mother. Nobody suspected. Well, her daughters did back in the... Yes, with their young... 600 years ago. Right. But during the flu pandemic, husband, gone. Sister... Actually, sister was already sick before nanny came involved. So that one was pretty easy for her. Mom's health was ailing, okay, before dad died. And then she moves in to try to help with that. And it all happened, that all happened over a span of three years. So it wasn't, it was kind of like bam, 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 but it wasn't like months. So here she is, goes back to her, you know, buries her mom. And I think in her way, what ends up happening is when, I don't think she moved into her mom's house with the idea that she was going to kill her. She moved into her mom's house was mad she didn't have revenge on James, started to realize that, you know what, if it wasn't for her mom, I wouldn't have had the shitty childhood that I did because you were so passive with James hitting us. He never hit her. Remember, James didn't hit his wife. Right, right. So you never stopped him from abusing us as children, and you you were just so passive about everything. You know, it's really kind of your fault, too. Have some anger, Yeah, that anger really twisted for her onto her mom. Now, um... With all her personal history, you know, dead and behind her. Literally. Uh Uh-huh. She's a free woman. Goes back to her little house in Alabama because she kept that house. She just was leasing the land. You know, it's still money, making money for her. Yeah, yeah. In 1953, she's 48 years old, and she joins the Diamond Circle Club, which is like an exclusive letter club. I was going to say, that sounds fancy. You have to pay $15 to get access to those letters. Now, are these still the love These are love letters. Okay. These are love letters. If you're in the Diamond Circle Club, you have arrived. I love that she's still you're like... A, you're higher class. So meeting. you're meeting the finest yes. of the men. Yep. She sets out to Kansas to meet a man that she's t- started talking seriously with by the name of Richard Morton. She actually fell in love with Kansas when she stepped off stepped off the train because she could see the horizon for the first time. Mm-hmm. There weren't mountains in the way. She oh, was yeah. okay. really impressed by that. He gave her, he she was surprised at this point in time. Now with Arlie, Arlie was surprised at how pretty she was. She was surprised at how handsome that Richard was. He was tall, dark, handsome. She was not expecting that at this age. You know, she's 48. She's starting to gray. She's not as felt. Mm-hmm. She was. Boobies are sagging a little, little bit. bit. That's okay. That's <laughs> all right. It happens. And so she's pretty happy that he's happy with her. He's lavishing her with expensive gifts, things that she's never received before. She actually, like, loved him. This was the man that was in her books. Okay. They were wed so within months. I'm not surprised. Yep. She had her things shipped from her little house in Alabama to Kansas, and married life was bliss. Finally, she had a man that did not prefer drink to her company. He was home at night, spending time with her. Yes. Now, it was only after she became suspicious a little bit when a couple of days a week, he would dawdle in town. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he always brought back expensive gifts, gifts for no real explanation, which she loved. She was new in town, so it took her a little bit to kind of get the lay of the land and talk to people. Now, he was always with her as well, so it was harder to, like, gossip with the ladies when he's around. So she found her opportunity at the salon. Oh, don't we all? Don't we all? So at the salon, she starts asking some questions, and they spill it. That, honey, Mm, uh your man's 
has had many a younger ladies before you, still likes to keep some of those connections, and he likes to buy them lavish gifts as well. Oh, hell no. She starts doing some more digging and realizes not only does he buy them lavish gifts, but it's literally the same gift that he's bringing home to his wife. Mm. Now, the ladies at the salon took note at how easy she took this news, this new <laughs> girl can, can in town. Like, oh, okay, that's lovely. I picture her Thanks, saying, girls. I picture her saying, you know what? I think I'm out of prunes. <laughs> I'm going to get me some sugar I'm going to go home and whip me up some prunes a prune, tonight. A prune pie. And I got a great recipe yeah. for it. It'll be just fine. Girls, they were even like, like Richard came and picked her up from the salon and she greeted him with a like, smile hi, and love. a kiss. Yes. And they were like, what? After what we just told her, how is she doing this? Okay. She started. Oh, Richard. Rest in peace, Richard. Oh, Richard. May- you always, you know, be remembered. I guess, but you really shouldn't have started a marriage with no intentions of being faithful to I, it. I think this was the moral of the story. Like, we, we need to know who we're oh, marrying. Oh, for sure. Also, a moral of the story for men is don't scorn your women. Because <laughs> right. holy shit. Right? If you can't be faithful, mm-hmm. you know, don't don't commit to that marriage. Right. Either from the drink or the other women. Just please. those prunes will show up. Those prunes. We'll get, yeah. Apples, I hear, will do the same thing. I don't know. So she did start writing men again, even before Richard was dead, and saying she was a widow from Kansas. Oh, she's already. Oh, yeah. She's pre-planning. Oh, yeah. Three months into the marriage, Nanny was a widow again. And this time, with what she claimed was her mother's recipe of apple pie again, and the stewed Mm. prunes. Oh, mm -hmm, Richard. With rat poison, her go-to. Richard, Richard went to sleep one night, just didn't wake up the next morning. He was considered old because he was in his 50s, so there was no autopsy. <laughs> I know. I can't. I know. He's lived to be 50. There's no There's reason. No natural causes. <laughs> He's lived his life. Yes. Now, if the salon women had any inkling, considering this was very quick after they told the, her the news, they felt like old Richard had it coming. Right. <laughs> No one said anything. I love just the vision of the salon talk and her just being like, oh, that's, you know, okay. Yep. yep. And they're Thanks, like, girls. wow, she's just taking yep. this very well. She started opening his mail and discovering that he spent lavishly and he actually was like in more debt than what his life insurance was going to cover. So she got very scorned by the thought of like, not only are you not going to be faithful to me, but you're putting us you're in broke debt. Ass. Yeah. You're putting <laughs> us in debt buying gifts for your, you know, younger women for sure. Yeah. Your perky pair on the side. Yeah. Thanks. No thanks. So she took out some more insurance policies so that she could at least walk away with a little something. I mean, she, she did let the bank foreclose on his house and only stayed in Kansas long enough for that happen to happen. And then she went back to Alabama. Oh man! To recap, we have her carnage count at two children, a mother and mother-in-law brags, two grandchildren, a husband, another husband, followed by another mother-in-law. A sister, a mother, and now two more husbands. So we're up to twelve. Holy cow! You know that they're all their souls are all sitting up in a group. Like who's next, guys? It's funny that you say that. Keep that thought. Okay. <laughs> Keep that thought. Um, she did not go back to the Diamond Club because that's a tainted pool for her. All right. So, but she's still and, and she's 
still wanting a man, but she's given up on the love fantasy. At this point in time, she wants somebody that's just going to freaking stay faithful to her, stay off the drink, and spend time with her while she grows old. That's all she wants. That's all she wants. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as a matter of fact, her thoughts on the Diamond Club were, they're obviously not vetting people very well. They let a murderer in. (laughs) Seriously? Favorite part of the story. Why am I not mad about this comment? It's like a Yelp review. Like... (laughs) After the fact, like, I'm sorry, but your exclusive club isn't that great. You let a murderer in. Yeah. You need to be more careful with this. Yep. So she decides that she is going to expand to a man of God. If she really wants a good man, she's got to find a man of God. Okay. So she'd been writing, unbeknownst to anyone, she'd been writing Samuel Doss for years. Oh, so there's been this connection here. There has been this connection. Samuel Doss lived in Oklahoma, and they had been corresponding for years. Only thing he knew about her is that she was a hell of a cook. She liked a clean house, just like he did, and she was a widow. They say to start out as friends. And Samuel felt like that because he really was, like, the first gentleman that she ever dated. He was educated. He dressed well. He never suffered any any poverty, anything like that. Okay, he he's had always done well in in life. Essentially, he felt like swear words were a lack of education and poor breeding. So, um, I'm sorry, Samuel, I wouldn't pass the test, buddy. But I do have a master's degree, and my breeding has been very well. Thank you. <laughs> So, so stop judging, Samuel. That's right. That is for God only. Yes. In June 1953, just one month after burying Robert, she wed Samuel Doss. Although, it, like I said, it seems hasty, but for Sam, it wasn't. And he had no idea she'd had several husbands in between that she kept murdering. Okay, right. to his defense. Right. So, there was no real great passion here. He's a pretty staunt man. All right. But there was companionship. That's what they were both seeking. But the only issue is that he was not going to give her space and solace that she was used to. Oh, because she liked her me time. She did. Also, he was always around and was in complete in control of everything, including the finances. He considered elaborate spending to be a waste. So there go the boots the furs, with the fur. The, yes. the jewelry, the makeup, the elaborate dinners. Pot roast was too expensive. We oh. can eat soup. Okay. Their entire life was planned out, including, and put on a calendar, including when they would be intimate. No spontaneity. Oh. So she's got the stability, but no, like, none of the no freedom things. No. This is back, that we're now back mm. in her dad's house. Samuel was a good man. <laughs> he was a man of God. Yes. yes. And he, we will remember him for that. That's right. He felt that, you know, those those things were ungodly and unnecessary. He didn't even have a television because entertainment like that was a sin. Okay. So can you imagine how much he liked her romance novels? Oh, boy. I can't imagine what that scheduled intimate time was like either. <laughs> Me neither. And as a person that loves a good time management skill, okay? Mm-hmm. It is a skill. It, it is. I, I time manage so well. That mm-hmm. is a strength of mine. But even I can't go that far. (laughs) Okay. 
We will have Although sometimes missionary. I am sometimes I am like, wait, I gotta shave. So tell me where where are we at? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, there's that's some okay. pre-planning. Yeah. But it's not but, like I'm gonna write this on the calendar. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> missionary <laughs> style for thirty minutes. <laughs> February tenth. Right. And you know this poor well, that's all that was allowed. Oh yeah. It was Oh you know that's all missionary. that was happening. Yep. Yep. So light eye contact, no verbal. <laughs> Cues. Do not sit, talk. Don't take the oh, Lord's name in vain. Yes. Don't you call out for him during it. There was probably no reason to anyway. It's okay. Right. <laughs> so, oh, boy. Three months in, she makes a break for it and returns to Alabama. Oh, wow. So she's not even going to take a, well, take him. It's now out. thought that this was a calculated plan to try to get him to change. Because it's basically like throwing a toddler fit of, I'm going to leave. Well, why oh. are you unhappy? Well, because you're controlling all the finances. Well, okay, if you come back here, maybe we could make some okay. changes. I'll give, you, I'll give you some control of the finances. And that's what happens. So she comes back. He acts like nothing is wrong at all. Like, oh, my doting wife, you're back. Let's go to the bank. I'll put you on the accounts. I'll put you on my life insurance policy. We'll get this thing going. Okay, there mm-hmm. we go. And yep. she's kept her house this whole time, right? She's she still- has. Yeah, she's kept her house in Alabama. Yep, absolutely. Now, the interesting thing about her is that she never killed for money alone. There was always something deep, something deeply emotionally motivating her murder. Some money was just an incentive. It was. It just was like this bonus that right? happened. Right. And Samuel's no different. Much of what she brought back from Alabama with her was her beloved collection of magazines and books and romance books. And Samuel freaked out on her that he did not want those sinful books in his house. And she felt like he was being a hypocrite because he read every night. He didn't even have a television. And he's like, that is different. I am reading the word of God and I am reading philosophy for educational purposes. My reading is enriching and yours is sinful. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, and he threw all of her books away. Okay, that was probably, that was it, wasn't it? That was the emotional straw that broke the serial killer's back. Yep, I yep, would say, because she loved those, loved she those did. books. She probably, that's probably the only thing in her life she did love, is the fantasy of love, mm-hmm. honestly. At this point in time, she's like, yeah, you're gone, so how do I plan this? Because you're homing up my ass all the time. So she's like, okay, one thing that I can do. She's there during meal, meal, bleh, meal prep and everything. She's like, I can put some powdered rat poison in his coffee because he lets me make him coffee and bring it to him. All right. So this is what she starts doing. And he starts getting sicker and sicker. He loses 15 pounds. He gets hospitalized for 23 days. The doctor, there was actually a gastroenterologist specialist. I love his name. Dr. Schwellbian. That's a good name. Isn't it for a doctor? For it's a, like it's like well-being, but let's put a Schwellbian. Like, it's perfect. It is. Perfect. But Dr. Schwellbian was not playing. He was an expert in his field, and he was like, I have not seen a stomach infection be this resistant to antibiotics before. So the case, you know, of Samuel really left an impression on him. So after 23 days, he gets better. He comes home. She is like, I'm so happy to have you home. I know you don't like me to spend money on elaborate meals, but I made you this roast for dinner as a surprise. 
for your homecoming. I'm so happy to have you home. Of course, he's starving. He lost 15 pounds. He's right. been eating hospital food and, in, you know, I'm through sure an IV. It looked delicious. Yes. Smelled even better. He had his coffee, everything. So he eats gluttonously, gets some stomach pains afterwards, and is like, I think I need to go to bed. He's blaming it on, I was glutton. That is sinful. Yep, I had too much. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So she's like, let me tuck you into bed, gives him a kiss on the forehead, goes back out to her little reading room, reading her magazines that she brought back into the house while he was gone. She did dote upon him in the hospital. She was there every day. But just so everyone could see that, you know. She's she was committed to that role. She was like yep. I'm the Doting caretaker. caretaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, she ignored all the moans and groans that rapidly got more intense coming from the bedroom until they continued to read. Yep, sure did. Continued to read her little book until they stopped. And the next morning, she called the ambulance and they came, but it was too late. Samuel was gone. He was gone. Now, Doctor Schwelbian. Is like, who's the actual expert here, was like, um, hold on, why is my patient from yesterday that I just discharged yesterday, who was perfectly fine yesterday, why is he in the morgue today, people? He's why is he in the morgue? the first human being to question yes. any of her murders. Dr. Schwelbian. Can we get a standing ovation yes. for this man? Yes, we should. Also, because his name's amazing. It, but yes, yes, he finally, yeah, he's too. an expert and is like, hold, like, hold on a second. Now, where she went wrong is that it was a slower process to poison him because this man had never lived through poverty before. He was well-fed and well-built. She wasn't giving him the right dose. Oh, so he got okay. sick to the point where he could take it, like, I need to go to the hospital. It wasn't just instant. She had miscalculated the amount of rat poison she would need given his good health and built. Wow. Yeah. Dr. Schwelbian is like, I don't really know how to approach this. I've got to do this the right way. I have my suspicions. This is weird. He's very cunning because at the funeral, he attends the funeral, and he pins her basically to the wall in a room, like corners her in a room so nonchalantly about how concerned he was with, this is so weird. Could we please do an autopsy? We've got to find out. This could be a new disease. This is you the could first really one, be, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Holy cow. You could really be helping people. Like, we've got to know. I, this. It was so resistant. The infection was so resistant to antibiotics. And then the next day, he's gone. We need an autopsy. All those people are standing right there. She has no choice but to say yes. She and he's being to. so delicate about it. Of I know this would be hard for you. But it's a decision that we need to make now before he's buried. Like, wow, yeah, he's good. Like, he's good. let's do this. So he does the autopsy, finds a half of a freaking roast in the man's stomach, with the trimmings, undigested coffee, and enough arsenic to kill a horse. Oh, that's my a direct quote from the God. book. Yeah. So now they're like, okay. He calls in the police, shows the police. They start questioning her. She's like, no, guys, I, gentlemen, I don't know what you're talking about. No, I could not do this. <laughs> like she gets this weird giggle. Oh, it gives me chills. This super weird giggle. And they're like, um, what the fuck was that? What was that giggle all about? Anytime she's talking about, it, you know, the actual death and being accused of it, she's giggling. She'll giggle. So they're like, oh, okay, okay, this is some, this is weird. 
she kind of broke out into like a hysterical giggle. So they get her oh. to come in to a um in into the interrogation room. Okay. By then she had composed herself, but they're they are interrogating her. And she starts giggling again when direct, asked a direct question about actually murdering her her husband. Now they bring in um special agent Paige, who had done a little bit of research on her and was starting to connect. Okay, so, All so someone's these husbands. finally someone's finally looking into her and is like, "Wait, holy shit! A lot of people have died around this woman." So he comes in, Special Agent Page comes in, and of course she's like, "I already told you, gentlemen. I don't know what you're talking about. Trying to play the sweet old grandma card, which we have seen." And like you had said earlier about the spirits, this is what Agent Page says. And this is a quote from the book: "Do you believe in ghosts, Nanny? A few years doing my job, you start to believe in them." They don't haunt places. They haunt people. People that have done wrong and know that they've done wrong. How many husbands have you buried, Nanny? How many of their ghosts are in this room with us right now? Oh, wow. And at that point in time, her smile and light out of her face was gone, and it was clear as day. There she was, the real Nanny, and he had her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's no longer laughing, and he's like, we can go around the country collecting all the evidence that we need and do it the hard way, or you can just tell me right now. She's like, oh, all right, I put rat poison in his coffee. Oh, my God, that's all it took? Yep. Mentioned the ghost haunting her. Oh, screw it. And she's like, fuck it, yes, it was rat poison in the coffee. Wow. Mm -hmm. In the end, they did end up exhuming all bodies, um, that she had been close to at the time of their deaths and found arsenic in every single one. The only bodies that they left alone because they really didn't need any more evidence was her two young girls. In, and the defense, it's kind of cracked me up, the defense could not come up with a defense for her. <laughs> okay, she Psychologists talked to her. She was deemed competent enough to, to stand trial. So even her defense team was like, we "We have nothing. You are a murderous, horrible human being. Please just plead guilty because we don't even want to try to defend defend you. you. Oh, my God. So she was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Samuel Morton on May 17th, 1955. And the reason she was willing to plead guilty is because the judge had already ruled that he's not going to send a grandmother that looked like her like this sweet, innocent lady, to the electric chair and, like, fry. He's not going to fry a granny, and he made that very clear. Like, she's going to get life in prison because I'm. we're not we're doing not death penalty. We're not frying grannies here. Right. So they're like, okay, <laughs> can we put that on a shirt? We're not frying we have, grannies We're going to have so much good merch out there. Oh, Lord, we got to recap some of our sayings. Good God. So, <laughs> yes, you're right. We are not frying grannies here, all right? And so... Um, so she knew that she could plead guilty, and they didn't bother with moving forward with the other charges of the people because they knew she's spending life in prison with no possibility of parole at this point in time. And also, they needed to put an end to the fact that she was relishing all the press and all the the oh, yeah. attention she I'm was sure. getting. So that was another strategic move of we aren't going to tr- put her to trial for all these other murders 
when we've already got her where we want her yeah. because she's loving this attention. I feel like I'm now giggling. Like <laughs> right. this case is so she, much I'm like That's I'm how giggling. she became known as the giggling granny. Is because of at the time of her confession she could not stop giggling creepily. That is until it, they mentioned ghosts. Yeah. So eerie. Yeah. So she spent the last 10 years of her life in Oklahoma State Prison, um, where she spent her time doing, as she always did, writing letters back and forth from the various men and women who wrote her. Of course. And uh, did she meet a a new bae in prison? She had some some spicy romances through the letter. I would not have it any other way. The written word. Mm -hmm. Would not have it any other way. Even though she knew and they knew she was never seeing the light of day again. Right. uh, Those fantasies, though, probably stayed strong. They did. I don't know that she was necessarily unhappy in prison, frankly. In 1965, she went to the hospital and it was discovered that she had leukemia. In a weird twist of fate, her own blood had turned to poison and killed her on June 2nd at the age of 59. Wow. Isn't that ironic? She'd been poisoning all these people, and then her blood then ended up poisoning her. Yeah. That is, Life is such an eerie twist. Sometimes. Yep. And just to give She you wasn't a, very old either. No, Sorry to cut you off. 59 is like, not, but, but no. God, she lived. Oh, my, my God. I feel Lord. like we've been talking about like 300 years of lifetime yes. for her. Of how that many she did people? Wow. Mm-hmm. Several husbands. I mean, a her sister, children, a mother, two mother-in-laws. Her grandchildren. Her, her two grandchildren, her children. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, what, four or five husbands? And it took... The only husband that lived was her first one, Charlie, who was a complete He was shit like the worst. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm not saying that the other ones were great. Right. But, I mean, Samuel didn't do anything wrong besides being controlling. I know. All he wanted he to do was live an old school life. He did. Little, Schedule little, some sex. Right. Right. <laughs> a little too controlling Look where for I got na- him. nanny's taste. But <laughs> yes. I may have called her nanny several times in that. And I'm sorry if I did. That's just because I'm so used to saying right. it. But all right. I'm going to end on a quote from the book that gives like a really good insight, I think, as to like part of the reason why she was the way she was. It said, the truth is that there were two diametrically opposed ideals driving every single one of Nanny's actions. The first was passed down by her to by her father to her. The idea that human life is inherently worthless and that people only have value if they're producing something or can be of use to you, which is a common assertion among sociopaths. The other ideal was passed down to her indirectly from her mother. That true love was the highest of all goals. Wow. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I told you from the beginning, we've got a horrible early childhood experience plus early childhood brain uh, injury. injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, then her next adult experiences were not good. Like, No, they were not. This, this took a turn. It was kind of a perfect storm, right? Holy cow. So I'm going to give you a brain bath now. Are you ready? I am. I'm Sorry, very we are, ready. We are two it's hours okay. it into happens. this. I apologize. It happens. I, I really did try to shorten this too. I'm, my God. I feel like 
I am now 10 years older. I think like, so too. Just we all taking are. it all in. Oh, more grace. I need Shit. like a good eye cream yep. when I get home. Me too. It's time to shave. But yeah. I mean, it was, don't get me wrong, like a, an amazing. Isn't that a crazy case? So crazy. So crazy. And the way, and like how many women got away with killing back in the day because men acted like women weren't capable of fucking anything? I would be curious to, to know. Would, there's so many. There's so many. So many. All because we were just underrated. Yes. Wow. I think there's more nannies out there. I think so, too. Wow. So, yeah. So, there you have it. Nanny's gone. Granny's, granny's, granny's gone wild. Gone and wild it's just ironic sure. that her name is Nanny. Yes. yes. Nancy Hazel. Holy cow. Yup. Yeah. So, here's your brain bath, my dear. Oh, yes. Please. This was sent to us by a listener. It is her own personal brain bath. I love this. You guys send us. Send us your brain baths. This is so much more fun than us finding new oh, stories. for sure. Or send us a new story from your area, too, because that would be cool. But she wrote, and I quote, I have a brain bath for you, ladies. I was once a 911 operator in rural Louisiana. We got a call about an indigenous man having a heart attack. I muted the caller and notified the EMS dispatcher sitting directly behind me. It turns out, When the crew arrived, they asked the caller where the man was, and she led them to the kitchen sink and said, he is in the drain. Do you see the tiny man clutching his chest? (laughs) The ambulance crew played along, thinking that they were dealing with a psychiatric emergency. Sure. Sure. They looked in the sink, but when they looked up and out the kitchen window, they they noticed that the entire backyard was a marijuana grow. (laughs) They called for a, a police escort to the hospital. Then they actually present, pretended that they were working on a tiny indigenous man <laughs> going as far as to do CPR until the police got there and handled the issue. We had a play-by-play in the 911 office as it was all going on. I don't think we ever laughed so hard. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> I love that they're just like, Okay, this is how we're going to handle this. Instead of telling this poor person that is higher than a kite right now that <laughs> there is no tiny man clutching his chest in her sink drain, right? we're just going to go ahead and compressions, <laughs> little compressions. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for this and playing like out. pretending to yeah. blow into this <laughs> fake tiny man's mouth. Oh, good. I love it. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. And uh, keep those coming, you guys. I know y'all have one somewhere. Oh, yeah. Think back to your life experiences. You've got one. Send it. We won't use your name. It's pure gold. I may dig up a few of my own personal. And just pretend like they were sent by a by someone. Maybe, maybe not. I you, have told you. You know, like random things. crazy things just pour out of me yes, sometimes. Like your grandpa owning a cannon. I'm aware. Yes, or, or my friend, friend vomiting. vomiting. <laughs> yeah. They just come to me. Weird shit so, does come to yeah. you. And you'll be like, God, I never knew that. What mm-hmm. where did you store that? I'm like right. they just come up. I have no idea. Randomly. So. So, yeah, thanks for hanging with us for a couple hours, you guys. We hope you keep it curious. We hope you keep listening. Come back next week for more. And until next time, bye-bye.